Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, that song that song that we were singing, be still and know that I am God, and we place our trust in him. We need to be still and know that he is God. Even when we're waiting and we're waiting and waiting, and sometimes the wait is absolutely endless. It seems to be endless. There are times during that time when we need to be still and wait upon the Lord and allow him to minister. God uh, allows us to wait. He, he allows us to wait, and he sets times when we need to wait upon him. It's a time of growth and development, as I've put in my notes here. It's a time of our growth and development and getting closer to the Lord as we wait upon him. And uh, sometimes it seems like an endless wait. In our lives, we have many things pending upon which we need to wait. There are many, many examples, but here I cite just a few basic ones. We wait, await the outcome of a job interview. We wait for results of exams that have been written. We wait for trains and buses, dental and doctor appointments. We wait for results of medical tests and the outcome of decisions made. The list just goes on and on. And when the answer does come and fulfillment takes place, that wait is over. Spiritually, of course, we also experience times and season of waiting. For example... Some of us who have received personal callings from God are waiting for these to be fulfilled. We wait for the leading of the Lord in all that we do and decisions we make. We wait for his promises to be fulfilled, for the answers to prayers, for healings to take place, for souls to be born again, and to hear these souls speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. We wait for all of these things. What joy they are when they are fulfilled. What joy when that wait is over. What a strengthening comes to up with us when that wait is over. These examples may be termed as short-term periods of waiting when we have a short or relatively short wait and look forward to a nearby fulfillment. But the long-term wait in which we all as a church and individuals are waiting for is the coming of the Lord. When all the believers who have been obedient to his word will be caught up in the clouds to be forever with the Lord. This is a promise made by God which has not yet been fulfilled. And I know this is, has not yet been fulfilled because my pastor and his wife are still here. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. And these scriptures, and these scriptures, sorry, this promise, I've distracted myself. Take a deep breath. This promise and foretelling is found in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 to 54 and 1 Thessalonians verses 4 chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 
And I find these scriptures make fascinating reading. This promise refers to the time when Jesus Christ will come to remove believers from the earth. As we go along in our journey with the Lord, the conditions of this world give evidence more and more of the soon coming time of this fulfillment. The scriptures paint a woeful and desperate picture of the condition of the world before the coming of Jesus. And when he does come, all the events which take place are miraculous and come by his mighty hand. And although we have been waiting for this promise for thousands of years, it'll take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And even those believers who have died and not seen the fulfillment of this promise before their deaths will be included in this happening and will see and experience the fulfillment of his promise. What will happen is that those who believed in Jesus and have died will all rise up in the clouds first. Their bodies will be changed and become incorruptible and mortals shall put on immortality. Then following, the believers who are alive will also be taken up in the clouds. And from that point on, believers who had been dead and believers who are alive will always be with the Lord. God has made provision for us and given us all we need to be in a state of readiness for that hour when this approximately 2,000-year-old promise will be fulfilled. But for now, we are waiting and we continue to wait. Amen. Waiting more often than not is hard work and tests our faith and our trust in God our submission to him, and his total authority in our lives. It is especially difficult when there are no guarantees that our waiting will end today, tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year, or even in this lifetime. We have no idea when that promise, when that waiting will be over. And waiting can tempt us to be impatient we can and do become discouraged and maybe even feel helpless. The waiting time, I believe, is preordained by God because the Bible speaks of a fullness of time, making reference to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. <coughs> when the fullness of, this, of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under, a law, under the law. In speaking of this scripture, the birth of Jesus Christ, too, is an age-old promise. And there was no one particular person waiting for this fulfillment, but all of mankind were waiting for this, and for this wait to be over. Yet, they waited for centuries and generations before the fulfillment took place. Our opening scripture clearly states, paints a picture of God, who is that everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, who fainteth not, neither is weary. He gives power to the faint, increases strength to them that have no might. And God knows full well that even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly faint. The joining word between verses 30 and 31 is but. So in the light of the foregoing, they that wait upon the Lord can and should wait with expectation, with faith, with trust, with hope and confidence in God. And while they are waiting, they will receive renewed strength for the duration of the wait, regardless of the length of the wait, even though, as I said before, it could be very long. At the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40, Hebrews of Judah are in captivity in Babylon, 
and chapters 40 to 48 are a collection of prophecies for these Babylonian exiles. They were messages of comfort and emphasizing the imminent redemption of the exiles. These exiles would be waiting for and desiring God's mercy and his intervention, and they had no prospect of deliverance except by God. In history, this was the time of the divided kingdom of, Is- of the Israelites. The northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah, of whom Hezekiah was the king. And actually, if I have my information correct, he was the 12th king of Judah. He began his reign at 25 years of age, and he was a good king throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Earlier, the Assyrians had conquered the kingdom of Israel and they populated the land. Judah's territory had been largely devastated by the Assyrian armies and in the meantime, a new power was rising up and that was Babylon. The history of Hezekiah is rather interesting. Hezekiah became sick unto death and Isaiah tells him that he will die. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed and cried to the Lord. God answered and gave him another 15 years on his life and promised to deliver Judah, deliver Judah from the hand of the Assyrians. Now because of this illness and subsequent recovery, the son of the king of Babylon sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. In response, Hezekiah was so glad for this kindness and thoughtfulness that he showed them the house of all his precious things, his treasures, the silver and the gold, the spices and anointment. He withheld nothing from the display of his dominion and wealth. He took the credit for all this wealth and exhibited with pride in his heart. Nowhere does he give honor to God for this wealth. Nowhere does he, um, nowhere does he give honor to God, sorry. This is a very serious mistake that he made, and the setting was established for the future Babylonian invasion of Judah, who's, um, and Jerusalem was affected by that invasion. God sent a prophetic message and warning to Hezekiah by the prophet Isaiah of what will take place in Judah. This is Isaiah 39, verse 1 to 6. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left. A common question unbelievers have to ask believers is to this effect. If there is a God, why would he allow suffering and hardship? What is hardly ever considered is that man, more, than, more often than not, brings about these events because of wrong decisions made which result in innocent people suffering. War is a perfect example. The wives, the soldiers, the mothers and the children have no part in making a decision of going to war, but they are caught up in it and endure wartime. These innocents can only wait for peace and hope for normality that will come when the war is over. Such is the case of the Babylonian captives from Judah. They were in no way instrumental in their captivity, yet they suffered this as a consequence of decisions made by their kings. There was more than one invasion by Babylon into Judah, and at all times captives were taken. We know of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These Hebrews know God. They know his promises made to Israel and his commandments for them to follow. And while they waited for deliverance from captivity and regardless of the high authority over them, they purposed not to compromise their principles and standards in living for God. We have examples of the firm stance they made. In the beginning, they refused to eat the king's meat and drink the king's drink. They came through this trial and obtained favor with those in charge of them. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel was made a president together with two others, over 120 princes. Now Daniel prayed three times a day and would only pray to God in spite of the decree made that for 30 days all requests and petitions be made only to the king and not to any other god or person. Daniel ignored this command and continued to pray to God. For punishment, he was put into the lion's den. We know that God delivered him from that punishment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given instructions to bow down to the golden image, but they refused and were put into the fiery furnace. These captives, they put their safety and their lives in jeopardy because of their faithfulness and their commitment to God. I'm amazed because they weren't in, in Judah. They weren't in their home at all. They were in captivity in a strange nation where they were, worshipped gods and idols and all sorts of things. They weren't accustomed to that. They had their practices of worshiping God. And they were here in Babylon in that strange place. Lots of influences around them, but they maintained their integrity all the time. It's absolutely wonderful. They were waiting upon the Lord and drawing strength from him continuously. They, they would not compromise. These are just highlights of the great achievements of these Israelites in captivities. Their integrity was evident in every situation they faced. Daniel was made ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief over all the wise men of Babylon. He requested that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be in charge over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel sat in the gate of the king, which means he had a position of great influence. Unfortunately, there are not always such excellent outcomes as these. But I point out that these Hebrews left themselves at all times open and completely committed to God while they waited for their captivity to end. And during this waiting time, God enabled them to be successful and to continue in him. Not everybody was quite successful in the examples in the Bible. And um, I just think about Martha and Mary. They waited for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus and Jesus never came and they waited and they waited and they waited and Jesus never came and they couldn't understand why he didn't come and they were getting desperate and they were very unhappy because he didn't come but when the time was right Jesus did come after Lazarus had died and he raised Lazarus from the dead but they didn't wait with a good uh, attitude about it I'm sure they were very relieved when they saw their brother walking out of that grave, but they didn't expect that to happen. And uh, God knows exactly how long a wait is going to be. He's got the time just right for everything that takes place. We can't understand and don't understand exactly why Jesus didn't come and heal him. 
we think about that scripture and wonder, why aren't you coming, Jesus? Why aren't you coming? But there was a greater miracle ahead for, the, for Lazarus and for his sisters. Another one is Samson. Um, his parents taught, were told that they would have a child, and this child would be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is one who is devoted and consecrated to God. In the Nazarite vow, there are certain standards to be upheld at all times, such as a Nazarite could not touch a dead body, he could not shave the hair on his head, and he could not drink wine or touch grapes. Samson had the birth of God, the, the calling of God on his life even before birth. Samson did not wait upon God. He showed irresponsible behavior with the special anointing that God had placed upon him. And as a result, he suffered a great deal. He lost his long hair. His powerful strength was gone. His eyes were gouged out. He was made a mockery of and was forced to push the heavy grinding wheel daily. But at the end, God gave him strength once more and the victory took place. But Samson died a horrible death with the Philistines. This, God sent him to deliver uh, the Israel, to, to, to beat the, the Philistines, but he didn't listen to God. He didn't do it the way God wanted it to happen. And it ended up this way. And Samson, this great, he was a judge before, but this great man with all the strength and the powerful anointing, he ended up like that. Samson I put here, Samson added weight to his weight. I thought that was quite clever. Going back to the captives in Babylon, there were letters by the prophet Jeremiah to the captives, which gave encouragement. The first letter is recorded in Jeremiah 29, and I read part thereof in verses 1 to 14. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah, the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were deported from Jerusalem. By the hand of Elsa, who was, he was a descendant of the tribe of Judah, the son of Shaphan and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And this, uh, they were to take wives and, and husbands from the Hebrew captives there, not from the, the people that were living in Babylon. And seek the peace of the city whether I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. In the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. 
this passage of scripture in say, t- using today's lingo would be keep on keeping on and that's what they did they kept on keeping on and I love that part where it says seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace they had to, they had to maintain praying to the Lord they still had obligations and if they prayed for the peace of the city they themselves would have peace That's amazing because they had brought them out of their homeland and taken them captive into Babylon, but they were still there and they they needed to pray for the city where they were in. I think that's absolutely wonderful and it's it's a good example to us because we get upset with things that are going against us and people that treat us bad and everything like that. But there is an obligation for us to pray. And this is a wonderful scripture. In spite of this captivity and the surrounding influences, the captives should do all to endeavor to, to remain focused on God and his promises. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to, turn to the, return to this place. That wait was 70 years in Babylon, Babylonian captivity. And the Lord, the Bible carries on in Jeremiah saying, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. We must remember this when we're having a wait. We must remember this when we're waiting and nothing seems to be happening. And the wait just seems to be dragging and dragging on. And conditions don't seem to be getting any better. We can apply the scripture to our lives. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. I imagine there must have been great rejoicing when those captives went back into their homeland, when they went back to Judah. There must have been great joy and celebration and thankfulness that they have come back to their home. Whilst they were in captivity all these long years, we see from these scriptures that God never forgot them. While we wait, we are strengthened and developed in our walk with God. You know, um, we don't know the time and the length that a wait is going to take, as I said before. And we get very impatient ourselves with all sorts of things. For example, I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm driving and there's a slow car in front of me, I'm not happy. I find it hard to wait behind that car. I mean, that's just one of the little things. But we get impatient quite easily. We get impatient when we have to wait in long queues. We get impatient when we're on the telephone and no response is coming. We get impatient when things don't, when buses, buses are running late. We get impatient with all of these sorts of things. Amen. And uh, God allows us to wait. He allows us to wait because we're learning something when, we, when we're waiting. And if you're like me and you get impatient behind that car that's slow, I'm not going to learn anything except that I'm impatient. Amen. I'm still learning. 
So um, during this time, we can find out more about ourselves. We grow in patience, anticipation, faith, dependency, trust, and a stronger and closer relationship with God. Our character is built up, and we become ready to obey God's calling on our lives. To help our waiting, I have a few little scriptures which I should ask to let, let them speak to us, which have mainly been given to us by David, who spent years and years alone on a mountainside, tending sheep all alone and waiting upon the Lord. Be strong and of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Hope in his word. Be not ashamed. Be led in truth and be taught. Remember, this was all taking place while we waiting. Keep his way. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently. Do not fret. He will lead us in truth and teach us. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. And back to the first scripture, God will renew our strength. We shall mount up with wings as eagles. We shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint. And there's a song we used to sing that says, Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. Amen.